Primetime with Sean Mooney is brought to you by Green Chef. Coming up, I'll tell you how you can get $50 off your first order. Green Chef thinks dinner should be planned around your life, not the other way around. However, standing by right now is the one and the only Sean Mooney. Who? Mooney, everybody's got a price for the million dollar man. After you threw him off through the announce table, Taker climbs back down, he gets in the ring, and he goes, see if he's breathing. So right before I called 911, I thought she was falling asleep. So I nudged her, she didn't respond. I was sitting out in my front yard, and they told me that uh, she didn't make it. If they would do a movie about your life, who would you want to play your part? <laughs> well, George Clooney, of course. <laughs> who else could it be? You know, I think it would take probably $100,000 at least to bring us in for the Hall of Fame. Are you laughing, Sean? I get off the track here all the time. Did you just laugh, Sean? You can't You can't even show them on TV because they're so busy humping each other that you can't <laughs> even show them on TV. Attention, Sean Mooney, you scum, you slime, you maggot. If there's no further questions, you're dismissed. Carry on, maggot. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Primetime with Sean Mooney. Did you realize, I was just counting today, I was going through some of the episodes we're over 70 episodes. I think this is 71 uh, that we've got coming your way. And who knew that uh, we would get to this point? I guess we'll have to have a big celebration when we reach 100. But it has been an absolutely fun ride. Uh, even this past week was fun. We had Zach Ryder on. I, I love these guests we're getting these days. They're, they're just some fascinating people. Zach Ryder is definitely uh, one of those people. Uh, you look at where he came from. And remember, I talk about inspirational stories all the time here on PTSM. And Zach is definitely one of those guys. Uh, he he had a dream. Uh, he wanted to make it into the WWE. He probably had no business even attempting to uh, make his way there. But you know what? The guy did it. And then not only once he gets there, he sees things, you know, aren't really going his way. So what does he do? You know, he, he looks at what's going on with pop, uh, pop culture. He looks at what's happening on the social media platforms. He starts his own YouTube channel. And then what do you, what do you know? He's got uh, thousands and thousands of people that are uh, rallying behind him, basically making the WWE take notice and give him a big push. And, uh, you know, what a career. Uh, the guy you know, lasted a decade. And he's still affiliated with the WWE. He's got his own podcast going on. I mean, I really, really enjoyed the conversation. And I hope that uh, many of you listening uh, really uh, took his story to heart uh, to realize that, you know, you want something, you can always find a way. Now, Zach is a classic example. And, uh, you know, I mentioned uh, even in my podcast last week, I think the guy is WWE worthy, uh, Hall of Fame worthy. Uh, just because, you know, not, not so much, you know, you can go on whatever you want about, the, you know, the accomplishments or whatever in the ring, but he is a trailblazer. And he, uh, you know, opened up a whole new world in the world of professional wrestling of, of uh, you know, uh, how you can self-promote in a lot of ways. Uh, anyway, I really, really enjoyed uh, that conversation with Zach. I want to thank him for coming on and, you know, check out his podcast, uh, Major Wrestling Figure Podcast. Uh, with Kurt uh, Hawkins, and uh, and they don't just talk about wrestling figures. they got all kinds of stuff going on in that uh, podcast, so give it a listen. All right, uh, this week is no exception. Uh, I'm br- <laughs> I, I know I say this every week, but uh, I uh, am really excited about uh, our guest we have on this week, and I got to know him a little bit 
uh, going back and doing some shows for the WWE. And, uh, you know, I'll give you a hint. Uh, this this uh, podcast is going to reek of awesomeness. <laughs> I, I, think, I think you know. Um, Adam Copeland, or as many of you know him as Edge, joins us today here on Primetime with Sean Mooney. And uh, we had talked a few months back. I, I did another episode uh, of uh, the, the season that's going to be coming out very soon. Uh, this is pretty timely now because uh, the new season – of the uh, Edge and Christian show on the WWE Network is going to debut in a few weeks in uh, November. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be asked to come back to do an, another episode. And, you know, folks, if you saw the first season, yeah, it was uh, uh, it was great. But, boy, this is just uh, what they did this year is just <laughs> incredible uh, with each episode. And and the people that they have involved in in the show – is just great, and we uh, talked a, a little bit about that, but we also covered a lot about his career uh, all the way through, and uh, you know his beginnings, and um, you know the, some of the highlights, and 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 he, now he's got a whole new career going on, and uh, we'll get to that. I can We're going to be hearing from uh, Edge, uh, Adam Copeland coming up in just a second. Uh, we uh, a few weeks ago we had our first watch along for PTSM. And uh, we got a great reception to it. We got uh, a lot of great feedback. I know we had some glitches in there, but we learned a lot. And uh, that group, I'm really grateful to for joining us because, uh, uh, you know, they were able to come on. We got to interact. And then after we, you know, we had uh, the watch along with the, the Saturday night's main event, a lot of folks stuck around and we had a, you know, they were able to come on the screen with me and, and interact and ask questions. And so we want to do more of them. We're hoping to, uh, you know, do quite a few. And uh, our, our folks at uh, guys that work with me, Casey Drombeck and uh, Evan Polisher, uh, you know, went out there and asked you guys, you know, what do you guys want to see? And uh, folks, I, I, they're fascinated with these Coliseum videos, uh, many of them that I hosted and then did a lot of play by play with. And uh, so we've got one coming up uh, very soon, and uh, I hope that you're going to be able to join us. I'll have more details in uh, in a week or so when we nail it down in exactly a date and uh, what we want to do with it. But I hope uh, that uh, you guys enjoyed the first one. And like I said, we learned a lot, so we will be able to improve and uh, make it even more fun for people who come on and uh, do that watch along with us. So like I said, I'll have uh, some more details in the next uh, couple of weeks, so be sure uh, to uh, pay attention to our Facebook uh, page, Primetime with Sean Mooney. Also, of course, we put a lot of stuff up on Twitter and Instagram at Primetime Mooney. And, uh, you know, there's still there's a lot of great material we have on our YouTube channel, Primetime with Sean Mooney. So check those all out. And, of course, I'd love to hear from you uh, via email, and you can reach me, uh, primetimemooney at gmail.com, primetimemooney at gmail.com. So, it's time now to really make this podcast reek of awesomeness. Let's get to our conversation with Adam Copeland, better known as Edge. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, folks, I am very excited to have my guest here on Primetime with Sean Mooney with me. Uh, one of the most decorated, sounds like a general, professional wrestlers of all time. 31 championships just in the WWE alone. But that, of course, was not enough for this man. He decided to go on and become a huge star on the small screen with roles on Haven, uh, a great series, and then also Vikings, which I'm uh, very into now. Uh, and his star is still rising. He uh, just keeps evolving. Adam 
Copeland, or better known to our many listeners as Edge. Adam, thank you so much. I'm glad we finally got to do this. I know, I know. And I, I'm sure you're probably thinking, who? what is this guy doing? Because I, I, I kept saying like, yep, I'm in, I'm in, I'm over in Ireland, whenever you want to do it. And then we finally agreed on a time and I'm like an hour and a half late. Well, we're gonna going to blame, blame Airlines. American Airlines. Yeah. <laughs> American but Airlines from, from Canada, finally. right? Yeah, American Airlines in Canada. <laughs> That's a bad combination. <laughs> well, but but man, you it sounds like you've been busy. I mean, last time we uh, corresponded, you were over across the pond, as they say, but uh, in, in shooting in, in Ireland. But what was that experience like? Man, that must just been... It, it was... Um... It was still one of those those where I had those instances where I had to kind of stop and pinch myself because yeah. I'm in Dublin, Ireland, uh, essentially living over there. You know, if I had any break longer than five days, I flew back to be home with my family and then I'd fly back again. But I'd be, you know, standing there on this Viking ship in the Irish Sea <laughs> in full period, you know, wardrobe and everything and seeing like 200 extras, all of these crazy beards and crazy hair. And, and you're just going, what, how did I get here? Yeah. <laughs> and it was surreal at times, but it, it was a blast. It was an absolute blast. And, and, um, you know, I've been very uh, lucky when it comes to acting that these things keep kind of popping up. And yeah. for whatever reason, uh, casting directors seem to think I'm the right guy for it. Well, also, you have to have a little talent there. And I, I hear in the background another uh, shining yeah. light in your life, your little girl. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And you're playing uh, yeah, one of the roles you're playing. Or, or, yeah, it's not even a role, though, but you're you're Mr. Mom a lot now, right? I am. Yeah. It, That's uh, awesome. You know, because Beth, my wife, Beth, uh, she continues to stay busy, too. You know, she's yeah. back in school getting her master's in clinical psychology. So between... You know, her doing school, still doing some announcing for WWE, and um, it, it makes for a, a hectic lifestyle at times. But at the same time, nothing compared to what I was used to with the WWE and that schedule. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it's all timing in life, and, uh, you know, you've been able to kind of... Uh, progress to this point. But, you know, one, one thing I really wanted to start uh, when we started this conversation is um, I know that uh, you grew up I, I get, never knowing your father, your mom raised you. And, um, sure. you know, I, I grew up, my mom raised five kids by herself. My, my dad was around, but in many cases, I, you know, for a while anyway. Um, but one, one thing I wanted to ask you, because I, when I had kids and I waited uh, too, I, I didn't have uh, my first child till I was, till I was 35. And I always wonder with people that uh, that grow up in that situation, where of course my mom was awesome, and I and it sounds like your mom was too, uh, but you know you don't have that that male influence. I had a brother around, but it just wasn't the same to have you know that that older male influence. And honestly, I was a little uh, apprehensive about being a dad. And did that was that inside of you at all, or were you just anxious to to one day have it happen? Well, I so I never set out, you know, I always thought I'd like to be a dad, but if yeah. it happens and, and if it does great, if it doesn't, I have to be okay with that too. And uh, the, the way everything worked out and we didn't have lyric, our oldest, who's going to be five in December, December 12th. Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't have her until I was 40. Um, yeah. So I, I was, 
comfortable with the fact that I might not be a dad. I had to be comfortable with it, but then everything worked out the way it did. Like I said, I wanted to be, uh, in terms of, you know, any kind of trepidation, the only thing I had was, am I going to do this? Okay. Because I don't have any experience. That's that's the way I was too. Yeah. And, and it really was like, okay, I never, I had my uncles, but they were more like big brothers. So again, like you, it it wasn't the same. So I really, I was like, okay, what do I do here to, to figure this out? And I quickly realized you just do. And, and luckily (laughs) I had whatever wiring inside to, to be able to do it. And I, I think my girls would agree. I'm doing I'm doing a pretty bang up job so far. Yeah, you know, and I'll tell you that's that's the one thing that uh, that you know that I finally realized too is, you know, uh, first of all, I, I you know I, I kept thinking, well, am I going to be like that guy? You know, my dad, and and uh, you know, and so I was I was a little apprehensive about it. And then, like you say, you have I had no tools, you know, nothing to base it on. And then I realized then when, once uh, we had our, our you know the first my first daughter. It was, it was just kind of a natural thing. I, you know, I just, at some point just stopped thinking about it, you know, and then just, and ever since that's, I've kind of just based it on, well, you know, this is how I think I should raise these children. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you got to let it go at some point and, and realize that, Hey, you know, this is, it is that people have been doing it for centuries. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow. Well, exactly. Others have done it. So yeah. it's possible. And I might I think- be able to do it too. For, well, and for me, I think it was, I want to make sure that I don't do that. Yeah. So I, I really, that to me was never going to be an option. I was like, okay, that that's exactly what I won't do. So I will make sure that I am that dad that is, you know, there for the tickle fights and there for the, yeah. you, you, you take your pick. Um, yeah. It becomes difficult sometimes with this job because of the, the distance aspect, but I try to, you know, I want to be that, that ever present dad so that even if I am overseas, yeah. you know, what we do is I, I record myself reading a book on Dropbox and I send it to Beth and she plays them that for bedtime. So they oh, know that's awesome. That's what yeah. a great idea. And you, you know, the technology now you can do that I and mean, with a yeah. FaceTime and so, yeah, it, it, I wouldn't be able to do currently what I'm doing if not for modern technology. I just would have to say no, because I wouldn't be able to see that. I mean, I know people did it again. Like we just said, it was people got through it and did it. I just don't think I would have been able to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was different times too, but you know, like the one thing with me, Adam, like all I, the one promise I made to myself, as I said, you know, and, and it sounds so simple, but a lot of people don't get it is just be there. It wasn't even a matter of, you know, uh, of the, of the, uh, quality as much as the, the, as the quantity, just like be there. Let, if they know you're always there, I really think that, uh, that is a gigantic part of it. I do too. I think there, there's a sense of security with that. And, and there wasn't that growing up. Um, I mean, because my mom, she, she worked two jobs, so, she was there as much as she physically could be, but a lot of times it was with my grandparents, with my uncles, and, mm-hmm. and I always felt loved. There was never that aspect of it, but just that that security that I, I think does come with with having two parents knowing, okay, you know, if if mom can't handle this aspect, that's what dad is there for, and, and vice versa. Um, 
it's, it's a luxury almost to have two parents, um, you know, coming from where it sounds like we both came from. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, I ended up, we were a split family cause I, you know, after about, uh, 13 years we were divorced, but I, but I had a house that was, you know, within a quarter mile of where they were. And my, you know, I had the kids half the time and I've never, ever not been there. I've always told them that it doesn't matter 24 hours a day. I just may not be in that house, but I'm yeah. here for you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's important. So, and, so with that in mind, I mean, growing up, um, and uh, you know, what was that, that whole dynamic like for you growing up in Canada? And, uh, I, I did you have, you have siblings? I don't no, no, just yeah, me. It's just you. So yeah. that uh... it, it was just me, and you know, I think that's why eventually, when uh, when Jay Jay Riso, aka Christian, um, yeah. ended up moving to my hometown, that's just I crazy. I know to think that you two. You know, people it, it, people think that you know. Oh, they probably met the WWE. You know, <laughs> I, no. When when I actually tell people, I remember I was telling uh, Chavo Guerrero kind of our story because he, he didn't know it. And I finished telling the story. I was like, that, that's a movie. Yeah. Just the idea of these two kids that meet in the sixth grade in this tiny town outside Toronto, yeah. both have a love for wrestling, both kind of feel ostracized because of that at times, but mm-hmm. for, just stick to it. That's all we ever wanted to do. And just so happened to find two people, the same mindset same drive, same goal. That to me is the crazy part. And um, the, the fact that we stuck to it, I think is in part because we had each other to lean on throughout the years. Yeah. Um, but to, to get there, to go through all the training to, you know, wrestle in the barns and fall branch, Tennessee and, <laughs> and uh, go through all of that stuff. And then eventually, you know, at WrestleMania 16 to be standing there on top of a table holding the tag team belts, just all very, very surreal at times. Um, I've had, I've been lucky enough to have so many moments throughout my life where I need to, to feel like I need to pinch myself. Yeah. That's well, and you, and you think about it now, even those stars lining up, I mean, just the fact that you meet a guy that you, you know, relate to, you become your very good friends. Uh, you have the same dream, but you know, you can't just do that. You have to have a level of talent. And let's say one of you had that, you know, that happens mm. that, you know, yeah. you've got the guy and, but the, both of you to, to have had that somehow, uh, happen and come together. It really is incredible. It is a movie. So maybe it, down the road, you guys will be able to do that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, we, we're, heck, we're doing TV series on, on the network. So yeah, why not? Why not? So, I mean, how old were you guys when you met? Uh, sixth grade. So uh, oh, like, I thought it was, I thought like your early teens, but really sixth grade. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the deal was he lived in an even smaller town yeah. called Grand Valley, which was like a neighboring town to Orangeville, which is where I was born and raised. Yeah. So he moved to, to Orangeville and he was the new kid. Right. So everybody was kind of giving him either the, the stink guy, the hairy eyeball, or they were like, Oh, he's the new kid. Who cares if he's wearing, you know, sweatbands on his wrist and a football Jersey and, and rugby pants. Ooh. So he was cool. Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> we weren't sure. Noticeable. But, uh, Let's say noticeable. <laughs> <laughs> but what he did have that I thought was, was uber cool was he had a ninja star. Oh, 
sounds crazy. Like the nowadays. real deal? Yes. Wow. And, and I know it sounds crazy nowadays, but you think back to this time, it was like 1984, maybe 85, I guess. And Karate Illustrated had those ads in the back where you could order Ninja Stars. Yeah. I, could order it, it, like that. Yeah. Nunchucks. <laughs> I mean, think about Other that. Things, yeah. You you have eight year olds ordering nunchucks and and ninja stars, <laughs> so he has a ninja star and he said he was going to sell it to me because I was an aspiring ninja slash wrestler slash rock star. So he uh, he said, okay, well I'll meet you you know behind school after school and uh, you know we'll throw it into a tree. And sure enough, we met back there. We started throwing this ninja star into the tree as we're doing it. He goes, you know, I, I just kind of, I don't think I want to sell it. But <laughs> also, I, and I was kind of mad. I was kind of yeah. mad. But at the same time, throughout the conversation, we both realized we loved wrestling. And from that ninja star came, you know, a connection that, you know, crazily enough st- still lives to this day. Yeah, I, I'm telling you, you're, when you talk about your life and how things went, uh, you know, you end up getting training by winning a contest, right? An essay contest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It, it just sounds, it doesn't even sound real. Um, <laughs> it does. I've ne- well, I've never heard of that happening before, but I mean, of all things that they say, uh, you know, we're going to give you free wrestling training, not, you know, we want you to do, you know, uh, 500 push-ups and you know do the no write an essay <laughs> i i know and and luckily uh, you know especially at that point in my life the 500 push-ups would have been like oh man but an essay i could do huh? <laughs> so i was i was 17 the toronto star uh ran a wrestling column every week and uh by this guy named norm DaCosta. Mm-hmm. and one week uh, it was i think it was every saturday it might have been thursday um in, at the end of the article, they said, uh, you can win free wrestling training from Sully's Gym in Parkdale, which is a, you know, a rough neighborhood in Toronto. At mm-hmm. the time, it was rough anyway. Um, so I thought, okay, well, I'm going to write in. Well, what do I got to lose? Because mm-hmm. coming from a single parent ha- household, I couldn't afford the $3,000 that it was, you know, for the, the tuition to get into the school. Mm-hmm. I wrote, I went down to spring break with my buddy Nick and came back and I got this phone call and it was a guy by the name of sweet daddy Siki, um, Mm -hmm. who I had seen wrestle, you know, an international wrestling in Montreal. I'd seen him come to Orangeville for shows is, you know, African-American blonde pompadour came out with mirrors, white gloves on sequin robes. I mean, if you do your research on Sweet Daddy Siki, this guy was a trailblazer. Yeah, he had it going on, huh? Yeah, really? he really did. I mean, he was the first black man to wrestle a white man in North Carolina. Like, he broke down boundaries. He's mm. the Jackie Robinson of our industry, along with guys like Bobo Brazil and yeah. Sailor Art Thomas. And, I mean, Sweet Daddy, he should be in the Hall of Fame. But yeah. um, that's a different story. But uh, he calls me. He's got this Texas drawl. And... Uh, he says, you know, we want you to come down and take a look at you. It's down to you and a few other people. So I went down. Uh, I needed my, my grandpa had to drive me down because my car was was broke down. And uh, I got down there and sweet daddy was there. And this guy named Ron Hutchison, who I'd seen do, you know, some TV matches for the WWF at the time. And they 
proceeded to kind of tell me all of the horror stories of starving and, and not making it in this industry because it's an astronomical, you know, chance. Right. Right. And, um, tried to scare me off and I said, okay, well, I still want to do it. So they didn't stretch you. No, I didn't get that yet. to that point yet. yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. It's coming. Yeah. So well, they wanted they, to see, you know, they didn't want to be wasting their time, even though you won these, you know, the lessons or well, the, the training, right? I hadn't won it. Oh, it but they're trying to decide they have like three guys. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yep. And, um, it was down to me and a few other people yeah. and, and they called me and said, okay, you're the guy. Huh? Um, are you, you going to get down here? So I got down there, started training and how big are you at this point? So at this point, I'm, I'm just about to turn 18. I'm six, four, I'm two twenty four. Oh, wow. Okay. So you had some size already. Cause most, I, you know, first, most of you hear these guys talking, I weighed, I was six, three and weighed 164 pounds you know, <laughs> before they. <laughs> yeah. And for whatever reason, I, you know, I sprouted over oh, from wow. 10th grade to 11th grade. I just shot yeah. up from like yeah. five ten to six, two. And, uh, my knees were not happy, but, um, and then so other like, sports, you weren't a football player. You didn't try that or, uh, you know what we didn't, my school, I went to uh, ODSS, the Scarlet uh-huh. bears, and, uh, we didn't have a football team. We didn't uh-huh. have a hockey team, strangely enough. Wow. Yeah. I know that's another you love. I'm being visited by Ruby, my youngest. Do you want to say hi, Ruby? Hi. Hi, Ruby. <laughs> Thanks for coming yes. on. Yeah, you're on a podcast right now. Oh. Uh-huh. Can you go back out with mom? <laughs> yeah, I know, honey. <laughs> Get right no! up, right? She grabs you when you're there. She wants to make sure that you're going to. She wants her dad. Yeah. yeah. You guys have a routine? Is there certain times of day, okay, you're, when you're there, you this is what we do or? Uh, not, not really. You know, we just kind of try and sit down with the week and go, uh, what do you have today? <laughs> you, you know, it is awesome though. It, it, it seems like from, uh, you know, some of the pictures and stuff you posted, your game, <laughs> your game for whatever, whatever's I up. Am, I am, you know, yeah. if, if you want me to wear the Elsa dress, I'm going to wear the Elsa dress. If you yeah. want me to, uh, you want to piss Piers, Piers Morgan off, but you know, who cares, right. <laughs> How did you get it? That's amazing. Like you got into that. I don't know. It's kind of a sidetrack, but it's how that blew up all of a sudden because of James Bond. I don't know know? how it happened, but it did. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I I was talking about training, right? Yeah. yeah. Go down there. Um, I, I, it's like I said, this rough neighborhood Parkdale. I mean, at this point there's, there's hookers, there's pimps, there's, it's, it's a bad, bad neighborhood at this point. It's since gentrified, but at the time it was rough. Yeah. So I go down to this, this beat up old thing called Sully's gym and I'm, it's straight out of Rocky. Like yeah. I expected to see Mick there or Stallone walking with his, you know, racquetball, like it Spit was buckets. Oh, Mick. and it stunk like jock straps. And it just, it was like this old dilapidated boxing gym. Yeah. And, uh, Sully was, uh, this boxing trainer. So that's why it was called Sully's gym. And it was known as a place where, you know, well-known boxers would come train when they were in town. So we trained in a boxing ring and four ropes. No, it was three, but they were very loose ropes, (laughs) but rock hard ring. 
so for for anybody there's a difference between a boxing ring and a wrestling ring with wrestling (laughs) ring there's it's bigger uh there's a little bit more give not much but a little bit with boxing this thing you know it was a concrete block and it uh it made every ring after that seem like you know like a serta yeah yeah like you know i'm bumping in this you know craftmatic adjustable <laughs> head now you know yeah. that yeah. thing it was good and it was bad because yeah. it, it toughened you up really quickly but my god that first bump i took i i swear i had liquids coming out of every hole in my body <laughs> it was so bad and i remember lying there looking up at all these guys who have paid for their training mind you yeah looking at this new pretty boy lying there on the mat Going, oh great, yeah. This is the guy that we get yeah. free training to while we all pay. <laughs> I, yeah, the guys who paid are going, and he's getting it for free. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Let's see what I can do when I get him in the exactly. room. Exactly. So they're not feeling any, you know, no, they're not no. feeling any no empathy whatsoever. <laughs> and I, I just remember seeing them all, and it was fuzzy, and I thought <laughs> it can't hurt this much. Yeah. There's no way it can. You know, I've I've just finished watching Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon in a ladder match. Okay. And if it hurts this much with the stuff they're doing, they're not human. Yeah. And I came to realize they kind of aren't. Wrestlers right. in As a way are are not human. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also, you know, you know, you get in it's it's like fight shape, you know, that uh yeah. you know, when you get you get used to doing that, bumps that your body just adjusts to it. I, I've uh, we've a few of us have called it, uh, you got to get your bumping callus. Yeah. And it, it's really just kind of tuning your body to, to detune <laughs> in a way. Yeah. Um, also then, and, but you're looking up and everything's fuzzy and are you saying, okay, what the hell am I doing? Or are you saying, you know what? I, I, some odd reason I think I'm supposed to be here. <laughs> that's exactly what I thought. <laughs> I, but, I, but I thought it's going to be tougher that oh, I thought, oh. you know, I, I assumed it would be tough. I just didn't think it was going to be that tough. Well, and then, and a lot of people don't, you know, the uh, understand, I mean, you, you were uh, pretty young when, when all this really happened for you, but I mean, I think you were 17 at the time you're saying that, uh, and just how, how tough a road that is when you, when you're starting out there and, and you're saying, you know, you got to show up to this place how many times a week you were doing it. But you got to show up. You got to be there. You got to put in the time because it just doesn't happen. Yeah, and I, I almost felt more of a um, more of a fire under my ass because it was, you know, uh, th- this gifted thing to me. I didn't want to, in any way, not not show appreciation for that because mm-hmm. I knew, I, I knew what it meant. You know, and you, you had the guys that were paying that wouldn't always show up. And I think maybe there's a a little bit of, um, not laziness, but it's like, well, I paid for it. So I don't feel guilty about not going. I, there was not a point where I was going to miss. So it's also how bad you want it too. Yeah. I, I, and I did stupid things to get there. Like I, I didn't have car insurance because I couldn't afford car insurance because my mom also never drove. So <laughs> right out of the gate, I was a 17 year old kid getting car insurance. Well, that cost five grand. So mm. I worked at the time as well, but I, I made enough money to make the deposit. Then I just didn't have car insurance. <laughs> so I just 
drove down and hoped I didn't get pulled over. Yeah. And, uh, and nobody hit you. Not, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And just drove so carefully, but always yeah. like sweaty palmed and going, okay, okay. Am I going to make this it, stupid things like not responsible things? It just, I, I, I didn't see there being any other option. And to me, I didn't look at, at wrestling as a way out or a way to, you know, uh, be rich and famous wrestling to me was always just something I had to do. And if that came great. And I, I hear that a lot from people that inevitably get to some, you know, the spots that they, they wanted to. And that always, always seems to be the case. Um, yeah. and maybe not always, but a lot of the times it's like they got into it because they, they loved it. And then everything on top was just gravy. Yeah, and so uh, were you a natural? Uh, you know, as as you started training, did did you, you know, kind of a natural into it, or did it something you really had to work work at? I, I didn't feel like a natural. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, the the footwork was new, and it was, you know, I'd never taken dance or anything like that. But I did box for a couple of years, uh, mm-hmm. but the footwork was different. Yeah, it, it, this. Boxing was being on your toes. This was having a good base. Yeah. And uh, so it was, you know, I, I, we had an amateur wrestling uh, team in, in grade school, but we didn't in high school. Like all of the, you know, football we didn't have, wrestling we didn't have, hockey we didn't have. We had hmm. volleyball, basketball, soccer. So I played all of those, but I, I didn't get to groom my, my amateur wrestling skills like I would have if I had been able to wrestle all through high school. Um, so there was a gap from, you know, the eighth grade until, you know, I started wrestling when I was in the, uh, pro wrestling training when I was in the 12th grade. And just those four, four years would have made a big difference because in that time I filled the gap with boxing. Yeah. Well, what, and, and what did your mom think about all this? I'm, I'm sure that she just wants you to be successful, but did you feel, uh, cause I know you went to school, um, that you had to have a backup or were you trying to, you know, put her mind at ease that look mom if this doesn't work i i'm still you know i'm gonna be okay (laughs) she uh, to her you know eternal credit she never once doubted me at least Mm. to me she Mm. she might have to herself and just never you know vocalized that to me but from the point i said i wanted to do it she was nothing but supportive and that was Mm. huge because you know you tell your parents that you want to essentially pursue this pipe dream. And I think anybody who gets into entertainment has this same conversation with their parents at some point. Yeah. But countless stories here on this podcast, exactly the same thing, but you have to imagine, you know, your parents, they want you to succeed. And yeah, it's like anything else. If somebody said, I want to be an actor or I want to be a, I want to uh, be in a, you know, a singer in a band. It's, you know, it's the same kind of reaction. You think of the, the odds, but you know, it's the same thing. You gotta let you gotta let them follow that dream because they're gonna do it anyway. Well, you know? and I, I think that's what she realized. She knew yeah. that I had something different in mind than than working in the factory at, in, in Orangeville, or yeah. Yeah. it just that was not going to to make me happy. And I think at the end of the day, she just wanted me to be happy. So yeah. go for it, kid. You know. Yeah. So you're and, training, and and then. Uh, you're going, you went to school at the same time. Cause I know that uh, you, I think you were studying broadcasting. I right? did. did yeah, I, and were you thinking, I'm, I'm just trying to imagine, you know, Adam Copeland at this time 
And are you, are you thinking, although, okay, you know, I got to be a performer and, 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 you know, like maybe broadcasting may be a part of this, who knows? I mean, or are you just thinking that's, I'm just interested in doing that. Maybe that's another road. Well, my, my true intent on, on taking, you know, I took television and radio and I thought yeah. it would help me break out of my shyness. And I, I truly Ooh. thought it would help me with my promo skills. That was my, at the time, even yeah, that's, a, that's cool. It was my main reasoning for taking it. I was like, yeah. yeah, it could be a fallback option, but to me, there wasn't a fallback option. Like that. It just, it had to be that there was no other choice and it was always going to be that. And, and I don't know. I've always said there's a, I think there's a difference between cockiness and confidence, but I truly always had the confidence that I was going to make it whatever my version of make it was at that time. It was just get to the WWF. That to me was the goal and I was going to get there. So I wanted to come in with as many tools in the tool belt as I could. And where I felt lacking in the shows that I'd done was the uh, confidence on the mic confidence yeah. with just coming out of my shell. I felt good with the, you know, the, the mechanics of wrestling that I felt fine with. I could do spots all day long and I could, you know, that I felt comfortable with. I threw a mean drop kick. Okay, great. Yeah. But if you were to hand me a microphone, it was not going to be pretty. Yeah. And I knew that, that was the part of my game I needed to work on. And, uh, I, I thought radio would help just in terms of, you know, my cadence, my, my inflections, my timing, you know, because if you got to do a live spot, it may be 2am on Humber college radio, but I still want to hit that 30 second spot. Yeah. And, um, and it, I think it did help, you know, uh, I, eventually I got to where I was really comfortable on the mic. Um, yeah. But I, I think that helped a little bit. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting though, that you, you said that you always had that in your mind that, you know, my, I always uh, thought of it to me is that I was just different. And, you know, through the years, and I've met a lot of people and I have an organization, it's called doodads. And we, uh, it, it's, you know, for kids who don't have positive male role models in their lives. And, and many of them, you know, have lost their dads or didn't have one, a presence. And, um, you know, I've gone to talk to people, you know, to raise money for the organization. And I'll say something, you know, uh, to the fact that, uh, you know, uh, I don't know how many of you here grew up without a dad, but I think when you hear me talk about my organization, you're going to really, you're going to identify with what I'm saying. And it never fails that at the end of this. These guys will come up to me and, uh, you know, say, I, I, that's exactly the way I was when I was growing up. I knew I was going, I was no way was I going to, uh, you know, be like the average person. They aren't. People that grow up in those situations aren't. They either become a victim or they become achievers yeah. and they, it's very clear. And, and, and it's never, I'm telling you that, uh, it's interesting that you just said that because that's exactly the way I felt growing up. I didn't know what the heck I was going to do, but I said, there's no way I'm going to, you know, I'm going to sit here in this town and just go to work like all my friends did. Yeah. And, and, you know, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I, I think that, when that is your situation, you yeah. can, you can become a victim or yeah. you can go, 
Right. I'm not going to. Well, in many ways, I I count the blessings. I mean, it it was, you know, there's a lot of things that were tough about it. But at the same time, it gave me, I would have never, you know, gone to New York what I did. I just picked up with three bags and went. And I never, and having that independent, but also that, that same thing, you know. So there's a lot of, and I I always say this because people listening, I know there's a lot of you out there that come from the same situation. And, uh, you know, that it, it, it there there are there are positives and you need to look at at those and and uh, and help and they will help you in your life along the way. There's no question about it. And I think that with anything, there's always positives. Sometimes yeah. you just have to dig through the shit to get to the positives, but that that's fine. They're they're going to be there. You just have to look for them. And and with this, I think it instilled a work ethic and a drive. And so. So when did things start really happening as far as, uh, you know, you starting to realize this is something I'm good at and other people started to notice? I, I think other people started to notice um, basically when I when I just started to get different places. Yeah. And there, there was a group of us, um, like four or five of us, you know, from the gym, you know, and, and Jay was in there, a guy by the name of uh, Joe Hitchin who wrestles as Joey legend and, mm-hmm. uh, this guy, Johnny Swinger and this other guy, Keith soon, this other guy, Robert Chaberia. Um, and we would go places and, uh, eventually, you know, got out to Winnipeg and that's where I ran into guys like Lance storm and, and bad news Brown. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, names that had been around. And when a guy like bad news Brown takes an interest, there i'm like okay well i must be on to something here yeah. you know or if i'd go out to the east coast and rick martell would request to work me i'm like all, wow. all right yeah. Th- this means something this means that i'm safe <laughs> and uh and that they must see something whether it's that uh, a drive or whether it's the fact that i i was wide open to just listening and if I asked advice, I would then impl- implement it. I wasn't just asking it because that seemed like the political thing to do. I mind my P's and Q's. I was respectful and I mm-hmm. went out and worked hard. So maybe that's what they saw. I don't know. But when I started to, you know, realize these things, I thought, okay, I think, I think I'm onto something. I just have to, to put this whole package together and, um, you know, try and make sure that it all comes together at the right time. And that you can never control. I like to think that eventually talent will always find its way through. I'm sure there's many stories over the years where that's not the case, but, uh, it just ended up that I, I worked this show in, um, Ajax, Ontario, and a guy by the name of, uh, Carl DeMarco was there at the time. He was Bret Hart's manager. Uh Uh, Eventually, he ended up becoming the Canadian president of the WWF. Um, He was at the show. He saw me, saw a few other guys, and he said, you guys got to get me some tapes. So I I got him some VHS tapes, and that that ended up leading to, once he got that Canadian presidency job, um, I think it was... uh, I forget who it was that that got hung up in in customs, and it, there was a show in Hamilton, and uh, the cops Coliseum, and they needed someone to wrestle Bob Holly. Oh wow! So he called me. He actually called my mom because I was, and, and he couldn't get a hold of me. He, my mom, got a hold of Jay and said, "WWF's looking for Adam." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Really? So yeah. Yeah, there's no so, cell phones around, right? You're... No, there's no way to get a hold of me. And <laughs> so I have no phone. My car's yeah. broken down. Yeah. I'm doing my my radio uh, internship mm. in Guelph. So I'm living in this tiny little hamlet called Rockwood, Ontario. Mm. Jay hops in his mom's car, drives to Rockwood, and says, Hey, the WWF's trying to get a hold of you to wrestle tonight. <laughs> and Bob so, Hall. Yeah. To wrestle Bob Holly. Mm. So we hop in his car. He drives me to the Cops Coliseum, you know, and, uh, you know, I wrestled him. It was May 10th, 1996. And we were opening match. The main event that night was Vader against Ultimate Warrior. Wow. And, uh, yeah, so how I just did went you out there. Focus that night. <laughs> <laughs> do you even know, like remember what you did in the ring? Uh, vaguely, but I think <laughs> because it was so last minute, I didn't have time to overthink. Yeah, yeah that's great. Yeah, I really just had to get in and and go and mm-hmm. go with what I knew and you know hope it worked out. But like I said, even then, I had the confidence that if you put me in the situation, I could I could do it. I just needed to be in the, in the situation. And this was pretty much the time to prove it. And especially Bob. Yeah, exactly. But here you're, you're, I mean, you're going to school too, but, uh, are you, are you, uh, actively uh, working the independent circuit in in Canada and Ontario and that, or or how often are you working? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm a weekend warrior at that point because I'm in school and I'm, bouncing and I'm working at this place called backstage pass, you know, selling vintage rock clothing. So wow. kind of, no you've always been such a great dresser. <laughs> Started that's, that's debatable, but <laughs> <laughs> is, is the same stuff happening with Jay too? I mean, is he kind of at your level or you got, is he doing the same? Well, now Jay had said he was going to write into that essay contest too, but he never did. He backed out. Yeah. He got cold feet and yeah. Eventually, what he did is he got a student loan to go to the same college that I went to, different program. And we lived together in this townhouse, me, him, and these three other guys that we grew up with. I mean, it was just a train wreck. And Uh, the memories. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, (laughs) we were nerds. We just sat there and played video games. But I mean, it was, uh, but it was fun. And he took his student loan and paid for wrestling training. With the same at the same school with the same school, same trainers, yeah. and he was a quick study. I thought he he yeah. started training probably maybe I think about a year and a half after I did, yeah. and he came in and adapted. You know what I felt, you know, much quicker than anybody else I'd seen, to be honest, mm-hmm. and uh, so we pretty quickly brought him on the road with us because he could already get in and, and go. And um, so we we hit the road together and everything. And by the time I had the match with WWF, he was just starting to kind of have his first matches, yeah. uh, essentially. Um, so I, I guess both of us got places pretty quickly. Yeah. So I mean, at this yeah, at this point, your your Sexton Hardcastle, which uh, which is a a fantastic name, a porn name, I think that would (laughs) have if if you wanted to get into that. But uh, you obviously impressed somebody uh, on May tenth, nineteen ninety six, against Bob Holly, because uh, isn't that soon after that you were you uh, were you signed to a developmental contract right then? 
Uh, no, I wasn't actually. You know, it, that night, uh, George Steele, George Animal Steele was one of the yeah. agents. And yeah. he, uh, he pulled me aside and said, you're good. Huh. Just keep doing what you're doing. And if I have anything to say about it, we'll be in contact. That's a nice boost. He didn't have to do that, you yeah. know, and I, I didn't think he had to do that. I wasn't sure if he said that to everybody, but it was when some of the other guys came up to me, you know, warrior came up to me and goes, you're really good kid. Way to go. And I was like, I don't, that's, that's the ultimate warrior. Yeah. And he's the main <laughs> event tonight. You just watch my match. Now I'm sure a lot of them watched to see what kind of disaster was going to happen in the ring because they had no idea and some fill in yeah 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 like who's this kid let's see how bad this is and bob enjoyed it so and i love bob but he's a curmudgeonly man and he enjoyed them oh man that was great kid thanks (laughs) so i thought okay that's good and then you know scott hall came up and was really really helpful he said you got it now you just have to learn how to do it in front of 10,000 instead of 10. And, yeah. and that, that really stuck with me because I, that's what I'd been wrestling in front of was, you know, a good crowd was 150. And, yeah. you know, that night I wrestled in front of 10,000 people. So that's a big transition and a big, <laughs> <laughs> that's a big leap. Yeah. Um, but it, that stuck with me. I thought, okay, I, I have to, just slow things down, make things mean more and, and translate it and relay it to someone that's 10,000 people away as yeah. opposed to 10. Yeah. But they say you learn the most with the crowd that's, uh, you know, the 10 to 150, uh, in those days. So you, did you, I mean, what did you I take mean, from those, those matches? Well, Cause they say that's where you really learn a crowd. Well, you, you learn, how hard it can be because in in order to, to garner a reaction from that few people, because let's face it, when you're an audience is that small, a lot of times they're going to be embarrassed to react. So you have to figure out ways to get them to react. And a lot of that is more, you know, personal, uh, you know, connections. So you single out some people and hope that that can kind of get, everyone else rallying into reacting one way or the other. Um, but I, I always loved, you know, just that, that feel of going out in front of a big house yeah. because then it, it could be so simple, you know, and also by that time, you know, you're established on TV and all of these things. So that helps too. But uh, th- there's nothing that can beat that and nothing that matches you know, the feeling of when you have theme music and you walk out and there's an entire, you know, arena or stadium focused solely on you yeah. and giving you that kind of energy. There, there's nothing that matches it. I mean, having my kids was better, but yeah. that's about it. Well, Adam, we will continue our conversation in just a second. I want to take time out, though, from this awesome buffet of conversation to welcome a new sponsor here to PTSM, Primetime with Sean Mooney, Green Chef. Yeah, and we love that they are on board. Green Chef is a USDA-certified organic company 
with an incredible collection of meal plans that include paleo, vegan, vegetarian, keto, which is my favorite, gluten-free, omnivore, and carnivore. Now, folks, I know a lot of you are busy out there. You know, you come home and, you know, you may be tired of uh, making those meals and having to come up with dinners every night. How would you like it to uh, be delivered right to your door, these fantastic meals that you can enjoy every single night? Now, these recipes are uh, quick and easy with step-by-step instructions, chef tips, and photos. They have really great photos right there to guide you along. Green Chef sends a wide variety of organic ingredients and imaginative new recipes each week, too. So you, 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 you're not going to get tired of any meal. You can have a different one uh, every time. And Green Chef sends a, uh, these whole boxes. You see the way these boxes come. They're uh, you know, all refrigerated. They have ice packs inside, so everything is nice and fresh. And everything is hand-picked and delivered right to your door. That's right. Ingredients come pre-measured, perfectly portioned, and uh, pretty much mostly prepped. And, uh, you know, the, I had the uh, steak with green curry chard the other night. And, oh, man, I'm telling you. Now, I'm not even, I'm not a curry guy, but this meal was fantastic. And as I mentioned, everything comes ready to go. And with the great chefs at uh, Green Chef, they know just the right ensemble of food, you know, all the tastes that should go together. And this great plate was from the uh, keto menu, you know, which I said I really love. And it had a seared sirloin steak, uh, sautéed chard with uh, yellow onions, and then this green curry coconut milk. Yeah, I'm not kidding. Green curry coconut milk served with two eggs. You got to get your protein, more a little more protein in there, and then you top it all off with this sriracha sauce. Oh, I- I'm not ki- I- I'm not kidding. It was absolutely delicious. When you put all of those flavors together, I'm telling you, it was just fantastic. Now, if you've got a busy life, as I mentioned, you know, and you're tired of coming up with those dinners every night, why not have it all planned out for you and then have it delivered right to your door? All you have to do is put it together and enjoy. And because you are one of my loyal listeners, I have a very special offer for you to try it all out. Now, to get $50 off your first box of Green Chef, just go to greenchef.us slash primetime. Again, that's greenchef.us slash primetime and place your first order. Green Chef thinks dinner should be planned around your life, not the other way around. Adam, doesn't that sound great? But uh, right now we have to get back to this great conversation. Um, So uh, when, when things, I mean, you go back to doing what you're doing, uh, when do you get that call? And, and I, uh, you know, and, and really, I mean, a lot of guys, they'll, they'll sign to a developmental deal and nothing happens. I mean, they'll come up and hang out. So when you do get that chance, uh, you've got to find a way to get noticed. Yeah, well, and that, that honestly is more difficult. I found, uh, than, than getting signed, you know, um, one, once I got signed, it was a year after that. And they said, well, you're signed. Here's $210 a week U S because that works out to about 300 Canadian. Right. And, uh, no guarantee for anything, no guarantee for anything. Just go and keep working. So I just had $300 in my pocket a week to which I could feed myself now and go to Japan and go to the East coast of Canada and go to all of these places. 
to try and learn, just learn, 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 because there was no developmental yet. I was yeah. signed right. to a I was just going to say, they didn't really have pre, anything. Yeah, they had nothing yeah, really established. developmental territory. Yeah. So this was before they had Memphis, before they had Puerto Rico, before they had yeah. Georgia, before any of that. I was one of the first developmental contracts. Yeah. So I just kept going wherever I could and and ran a, a training camp and brought guys that they had under these contracts or guys that they were interested in or guys that needed some seasoning, whether it was because of language barriers or whether it was because they were just not that good and mm-hmm. they wanted them to get good. So I went down to that camp and with the mindset that I was going to try and blow everybody away. And um, shortly after that, they started uh, bringing me to, to dark matches and I'd wrestle, you know, just whoever and uh it was somebody different every week and eventually after gosh i guess it was uh almost a year of that then they said we gotta get rolling with a character here and and that that became the the kind of the genesis of edge but through all of that you know there was bret hart who you know vouched for me and because i went to train out in his house and and then the camp was with Dory Funk and Tom Pritchard and Bruce Pritchard was there and Pat Patterson was there and all of these, you know, legendary figures within the wrestling industry all vouched for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I first got signed, I rolled down to the TV studios and they had a ring in the old TV studios there. And Michael Hayes was standing oh, yeah. in the ring. and Michael goes, come on, we're going to work a match. I was like, ah, okay. I just got off the plane. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and I work a match with Michael Hayes. Yeah. No, nobody there, just me and him. Uh-huh. And, uh, and he's been so pivotal throughout my entire career. I didn't really? know how pivotal he was going to be, but he vouched for me. And, and then throughout the years, all the stuff that we've written together and the stuff that we've been involved in together, um, you know, with him being the producer for the TLC matches and, you know, we just, he, he's done a lot for my career. I've been really, really lucky with the, the people that have have decided to take an interest and, and help me along the way. Well, and, and the thing is, uh, you know, Adam, they don't just, it's, you know, they have to see something. They, they don't waste their time with people that they don't believe uh, have it. So, I mean, yeah, you could say you have been very fortunate, but these guys aren't, you know, they're not in this business and hadn't, haven't succeeded uh, by being idiots. I mean, they, they see talent and they develop it and, and they saw that in you. Uh, but like edge was not a WWE idea, right? That, that was something from the outside. That wasn't theirs, right? Uh, no, it was, they didn't, I mean, you came up with that. Well, no one had an idea, including me, honestly. And uh, they didn't think I could talk still, um, mm-hmm. because they had done, you know, these, these interviews with just us as people. And I just talked like I normally do. And mm-hmm. I think within that they saw, ah, okay, I don't know if this kid can talk. Yeah. So at one point it was thrown around that I was going to be a deaf mute. Or, <laughs> uh, what? what? Like, huh? And uh, so I was like, you, know, oh, you that, say that, nothing. That's what it's they great. think of my promo ability. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you can't even. I mean, even George Steele got to make noises. Yeah, I, I was nothing. I was nothing. Just be this, nothing. this guy and this angry guy. And I thought, oh my gosh, what do I do with that? Oh, yeah. And I better learn sign language. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like talk about just dead in the water. You, yeah. you, there's not, there's nowhere to go there. Mm. So I didn't end up talking on TV for probably a year and a half. And, and, you know, eventually it was only once we got in the brood and we were able to cut a promo one night and I wanted to make sure I was ready for it. And, um, and again, it was Michael Hayes who was in the ring interviewing us and we gave him like, I think the first bloodbath that we had ever done. And that was, that was at least the start where they thought, oh wait, maybe he can talk. (laughs) But initially, Edge was just supposed to be this, I was told, a tortured soul. But they didn't have a name for this. They didn't have anything. You know, at one point, I was tossed around that I'd wear, like, a silk shirt undone with chains and leather pants. And I was always, in terms of the look of a wrestler, a a purist. Like, I wanted to wear wrestling boots, and I wanted to wear tights, and look like a wrestler when I was in the ring. So I had designed that I thought would be better. And, you know, since they didn't have a name, I would just, you know, think of musical themed things. And I was, I just finished a dark match. I was writing with, uh, with Don Callis and, um, there's Albany, New York, and there's an edge, whatever station there, edge one Oh two or something. And I thought, well, oh, edge, yeah. At the time, I oh, didn't. Oh, really? Think. That's what it came yeah. like. Yeah, because there's there's edges all over all over that the country. That, <laughs> that was it. You know, I think at one point, got an edge. offspring, like all these different names, none of them are really clicking. I was like, yeah. edge, yeah. Huh. And I, like um, I didn't think though, in terms of you know uh, the, the the cadence of a crowd being able to chant that. Yeah, I mean, try it yourself, edge. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't like yeah, you need something Rocky, else yeah, right, with it austin yeah Hardy, you gotta need at least two like, syllables yeah <laughs> it does not work at all so i shot myself in the foot there but yeah. you know it was better better than rage or riot which were their two uh ideas right. so that's awesome um what a time though to be in the wwe uh, you've got this, you know, the the uh, the attitude era and the, you know, the uh, just a completely different movement going on. Uh, did you recognize it at the time that, boy, the business is changing? It's, you know, there's more. Uh, it, it just is a lot more physical, I guess, is the one word to put to it. But to, but also this like the attitude. I mean, did you realize it at the time? But, man, there's something going on here. Uh, yeah, you could feel the groundswell because I yeah. was with the company throughout the whole, um, you know, Bret Hart, Canada, yeah. Steve Austin thing. So yeah. I was signed. I just wasn't on TV, but you could yeah, right. feel it. Generation X. And yeah. yeah. So you could feel like the, the, that the anti-hero was becoming the hero yeah. by acting like nothing like a hero. And that was really the first time that I saw that. I mean, you'd always have pockets that would cheer for Savage and Piper and guys like that, but it, it was, it was more than that now. Yeah, right. And you could, you could sense that you could really feel this, this, this groundswell happening. And I thought, okay, well, I, I, I can surf this. I, I can get in on this thing. I am getting in at the right time, I think. And then as it started unfolding and you started to see like you know we could be up against anybody we would be in cleveland against the browns 
no, no matter who was what <laughs> concert, it, it didn't matter. We <laughs> were going to be sold out. Yeah. And we'd be doing two a days on Sunday and they'd both be sold out. And yeah. you, you just, you can just tell. And then you'd have guys like Austin, you know, and Rocky and, and Taker and all of these yeah. guys all hitting their stride in their prime at mm-hmm. the same time. And then below that, you have guys like myself and Christian and the Hardys and eventually the Dudleys and, yeah. and, just all of these talents kind of converging at one time, the right atmosphere, the right, the, the right uh, stuff was in the air. I don't, yeah. I don't know how else to put it. It was just, no, right but it time. was, and it just, the, the rush, the, the talent, the collection of talent. And also, uh, you know, talk about raising the bar. Uh, the bumps these guys were taking. And I look back at some of it now and, and Oh my God, uh, Adam with, it just seemed like everybody was, uh, you know, outdoing themselves in these, you know, it was the first time we're starting to see these really, really amazingly, like the cage matches and where, you know, the, uh, 30 feet off the ground and the ladder matches. I mean, I looked at some of these this past week as, uh, you know, uh, some of the stuff you guys are doing. And I, it's amazing you lasted as long as you did. Yeah. I, I mean, I honestly, I don't know how. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like the bar just kept getting raised higher and higher. And were there points where you're like going, my God, what are we doing to ourselves? Or you're just in it. You know, I, there wasn't really that point. I, you know, I could look back and go, oh, well that did it. You know, but (laughs) it was, you talk about that collection of talent in that locker room and it was a pack of, of sharks. You know, yeah. and if there was chum in the water, I mean, it's it, so what do you do? You know, Austin's already cooking and he's doing Austin 360 and you got yeah. Rocky with the Smackdown Hotel. You got all these things happening. So you go, OK, well, how do you get noticed? Why? I don't think they'll do this type of match. We will, though. Yeah. And that was how we we were all young and hungry and at that point in our lives, indestructible. And. It, that that competitive locker room drove it all. It drove every single one of us to have the match of the night that people would be talking about. When it came to WrestleMania, we always went in there with the facts like, okay, good luck, everybody. You're not going to be able to follow this. Yeah, and, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, and that's Austin great, thought the same yeah. thing, and Taker thought the same thing, and Triple yeah. H thought the same thing, and Rocky thought the same thing. That's just what, what drove it. Um, now I look back, you know, I haven't really seen those matches back in a while, but if I see something that somebody tweets me, I'm like, oh my God, what? <laughs> that was how my body? We, that was me? Yeah. And how did we come through that without having to go directly to the hospital? Yeah. You know, well, I mean, did you look at things, you know, you saw stuff like Mick was doing and I'm, I mean, really where uh, it was beyond, you know, it was, it was life threatening in some cases. <laughs> And are, do you look at that and go, oh my God, what, you know, where is this guy taking us? Or are you saying, yeah, we're going to, we're going to outdo that. We're going to, because really some of the stuff you did with the ladders and jumping off and, and, ha- you know, being folded up in the ladder and jumping on top of it and lighting things on fire. I think you had second degree burns at one point where, I mean, <laughs> what the hell? What do you-, <laughs> I, you know, it, it just, 
we didn't look at it. And I say we as kind of the collective six of us with the Hardys and Dudleys yeah. and Jay. We, yeah. we didn't think, oh, we're changing things here or we're, we're the start of a weird movement, um, mm-hmm. you know, a- along with Mick. You know, I, I, none of us really thought of it that way. It was really just steal a show. And mm-hmm. however that happened, you know, we, we were able to at a time when there'd never been a tag team ladder match. Right. Okay. We got a blank canvas then. Yeah. I mean, Sean and Razor have done their thing. We can take this and take it someplace else because there's four of us. So what can we do then if we throw in tables and chairs and there's six of us, it, it just I, it, stuff that had never been done before. So it ended up being groundbreaking, you know, and I, I think we went too far and, and backbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Neck we breaking. We really did, you know, yeah. um, but at the time, like I said, we were young and we were hungry and we all thought we were indestructible. Um, but I, I distinctly remember having a conversation with Austin on a flight, either going to Europe or coming back. And he was like, guys, you know, you gotta be careful here. You only got so many bumps on your bump card. Yeah. And, you know, at 25, you just go, ah, yeah, maybe, but yeah, you're indestructible. Right? <laughs> you, know, you don't think about 45 because yeah, but- that seems, you know, a, a lifetime away. And in a sense, it, it kind of was because, you know, 15 years of doing that is like living three lifetimes. Yeah, but I've, I mean, there had to be some mornings, though, Adam, where you woke up and, and uh, you know, felt 85, where I, I think you said, yeah, it wasn't always the first day, but the second day. <laughs> the second day is what I got, yeah. It was, it was probably around 35 where I started feeling that. Not till then? No, yeah, no it was blood in the that. urine every morning? Was that just part, part yeah. of the- <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, the first time I got injured – I tore my labrum, uh, I think when I was 29 and that was the first time I'd ever been injured. You know, at that point I'd been wrestling 12 years and I thought, well, that first injury, huh? I guess this, I can get injured. I didn't realize that. (laughs) I just, no matter how I landed, my body would adapt and it tried, but it didn't always do that. It was in a cage match with uh, Kurt Angle in Calgary and just blew out the labrum and that that was the start of the injury train for me i made it you know 12 years without anything and then i didn't get that fixed which in turn led to another injury i didn't get that fixed which in turn i think led to the neck eventually yeah well it's kind of it's kind of like the boxer who's never been knocked out and yeah that first knock they're like oh i can i can get knocked out i yep. get and you can get that bell rung and yeah. You, when you know it's there, that that can open you up. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned uh, uh, WrestleMania 16, um, and I know a 24 is, is stands out for a, a real big reason. But why 16, um, and, and what is it that really stands out to you about that event for you and, th- and Christian? Well, I think because it was the first one that either of us got to perform on. You know, I'd been at WrestleManias as a talent. Yeah. I was there kind of as the the new kid for WrestleMania uh, 14 mm-hmm. in Boston. But I was watching from the crowd, you know, and went out there and was able to watch that show. The next year we did, you know, the thing with Bossman and Undertaker. So we were on the show, but we didn't wrestle on the show. Yeah. WrestleMania 16, 
felt like our moment. And your we knew, yeah, we knew we had the proper players for that stage too, because we had the Hardys, who we already had this insane chemistry with. And now the Dudleys, who we also had this insane chemistry with. So we just knew that if you put us all in there with these stakes and, and these tools that we were going to be able to create some amazing things. And this was a first ever again, you know, and anytime you have a first ever, it can go horribly wrong mm -hmm. or because you have this blank canvas, you can do anything. And we, we just all felt that that could be the case. Now, up until a couple of weeks before, they had talked about splitting Jay and I up at that pay-per-view. Yeah. So the fact that we went out, we did commentary, we got a chance to do commentary, and they went, whoa, these guys are entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on a second, yeah. because up until whoa. that point, we've been kind of the silent, brooding, you know, baby-faced tag team. Yeah. And uh, we, we actually got a chance to, to dip into our, our personalities and show, you know, our sense of humor and kind of what we could do. And then we heard, okay, actually, you're going to be winning the tag team belts. Now, for these two kids that met in the sixth grade over a Ninja Star. Yeah, right. <laughs> to be told at WrestleMania 16 that you're going to be winning the tag team belts, which is something we told ourselves we were always going to do. Wow. Um, yeah. You know, even, even though I'd won the IC belt by that point, this yeah. was still the, uh, you know, uh, again, I got to win the Intercontinental title in Toronto in my hometown in the Sky Dome. And then I get to, with my my lifelong friend, win the tag team titles at, at WrestleMania in a first ever match. I mean, you, you can't, you can't ever expect those things to happen. Yeah. Um, and, it's part and of the movie just, script. Yeah. They just have over Seriously. here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then we'll have Edge and Christian win the. No, they'll never believe that. It's too much. They won't buy it. That it's happen. too much. I mean, <laughs> we'll give them the Intercontinental Championship in its hometown. That'll be great, but they'll never buy that. Two kids from no, you know, out of nowhere. <laughs> Were you guys always like that? Did you always riff together when you back and forth because? Uh, you know, I've been around you too, and it just doesn't stop. You guys are just funny all the time. I mean, you listen, especially really, folks, if you listen to their podcast, <laughs> is it, it always it, like that? Is it always been that way when you're, even when you're a kid? For yeah. whatever reason, our, our chemistry, um, and, and then when you couple that with the fact that now we've been, you know, best friends for 35 years, I yeah. mean, that that's a marriage, you know, but without the, the stuff that can dampen <laughs> that that kind of that riff oh. and uh we we just that's that's the way we've always been together and um and, and also forces us not to take anything too seriously including yeah. ourselves and i i think that's gone a long way in helping us adapt throughout our wrestling careers too you know because a we we keep each other in check you know, we always, yeah, I was going to say it's, it's, it's a great thing to have somebody that, you know, that knows you from when you were a kid Yeah. that, uh, grounds you for life. Uh, you know, anything, he's the guy's going to come up and say, what the hell was that? You know, or, exactly. and you'll listen to him because he's not somebody who came from when you were famous or well-known he's, he's been by your side ever since you were a kid. So it's, uh, it's great to have somebody like that. It really was. And I think that's why we didn't end up going down any, any paths, you know, that, that kind of job, 
you know, or anything with that kind of notoriety worldwide can lead you. We yeah. always had each other, you know, almost acting as like a, like a governor in a way, you know, on a, yeah. on a car to just kind of like, yeah, okay, pump the brakes. Yeah. You know, we, we, it doesn't matter if you're this many time champion or that many time champion. I know you when you were the kid with the ninja star, I know you when you were the kid that wanted the ninja star. So shut up. Yeah, know? that's right. Uh, I mean, I, we could go over all the things that happened with the WWE, but there's so many things I want to cover beyond that. But I do want to mention the, the 24 and, and, uh, you've talked about it many times, but it, it, it seemed to, uh, you that it was the culmination of a lot of things. Um, at that WrestleMania, uh, the last match on that card against The Undertaker. Um, why did that mean so much? You know, I think it was, to me, it was a validation. Mm-hmm. You know, it validated to me that I could be trusted with that, with that baby, mm-hmm. with, with Vince's baby, with the main event of WrestleMania, the, the signpost Throughout the entire year, you know, all the cliches, it's the Super Bowl, it's the Stanley Cup, it's the World Series. It, it, it is that in the WWE, in wrestling. And I think anyone who gets into that industry, to me, that's the goal. The goal is to be the WrestleMania main event. Now, that might not be the case for everybody, but for me, it was. Yeah. That was the the end goal. And if I made that then I could truly say, okay, everything I set out to do, I did. Yeah. And, and that was, that was the last thing, um, to do it against a guy like the undertaker yeah. and for him to, uh, be so trusting with me and know that we could go in and, and do it. Um, you know, I mean, it, it really is, it's a validation I never looked at it as, you know, the, the people who ever doubted me a vindication. I didn't look at it that way, although that drove me throughout the years, mm-hmm. but, um, it really just felt good and it felt like, right. Okay. Well, this was where I was supposed to get to. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But, the, but there's also, and this is, um, you say it's like the culmination, uh, validation and everything. And uh, there was some, tr- there were tremendous highs along the way, uh, but there's also lows. I mean, you don't last that long with the WWE, and, and you think about it. I mean, you, you know, we just talked about 16, and here we're mentioning you know, it's eight years uh, later, basically. And, you know, it, it's not an easy road. So I, I have to imagine you standing in that ring and thinking about, and, and the injuries that you'd gone through, uh, that, it's, you know, people don't understand, like when you, they think you're on top through all of that, and it's just rainbows and it's awesome. And, and it's not, it's not easy to stay on top and relevant with that company, even if you're on the roster. Yeah. It, it uh, like I said, it's the toughest thing. You know, yeah. I always assumed before I got there, I'd get into the WWF, that'll be the toughest thing. Yeah. It was getting there and then staying afloat yeah. was hard. But yeah. then, I didn't want to just stay afloat. I didn't want to be somewhere in the middle. That was the hardest part was getting from that middle crowd and clawing my way to the top. And then once you get to the top, realizing, okay, if you, if you want to stay here now, you got to be the guy who goes on last, at least the way I worked, got to put in half an hour at least 
And you got to do it against Batista one night, John Cena the next, mm-hmm. Undertaker the next, Kane, Big Show, The Great Khali, Rey Mysterio, Jeff Hardy. And you're a bumping champion heel. Yeah. You you got to be able to go. And then you also have to do the interviews and the TV yeah. interviews and the, the radio spots and the commercials. And you just, that's part of it. That's yeah. Well, and you can never rest. Either you have to continue to evolve or you get left behind because everybody else, right? Well, reinvention is, is, you know, it's key. Um, Mm -hmm. because if, if you don't tweak the character, if you don't, you know, change the look, it it can be subtle, but there's always going to be changes. You look like a guy like Randy Savage when he first started and all of the, right. He was the master. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason those guys stuck around as long well, as Well, and Chris did. Jericho, too. I mean, uh, yeah. that's another guy. People counted him out numerous times. Yeah. And you, he you came back. You become a chameleon, yeah. and you yeah. become, you, you have to adapt to new styles, and you mm-hmm. have to ana- adapt to new locker rooms and, and different ways of doing matches and not being too stuck in your way. Um, um, it, 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 it's, it's a tough, tough job. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing job, though. Yeah. Um, if you are really firing all cylinders and, and having fun, it shows and it translates to an audience and, um, yeah, it's still, you know, the most fun job I've ever had. Yeah. Um, uh, but at, at some point your body said uh, enough, you didn't, maybe your brain didn't, but your, your, your body did. Yeah. And, uh, mostly I, I guess you attributed to the neck injury. And uh, you've talked about it, that it was Vince who made that call, which uh, could not have been an easy one to take, but I, I imagine you appreciated it in the end. But how did that go? And uh, how tough was it for you to I, say, this is it? You know, it's strange because at the time I was still champion. I had just wrestled at WrestleMania. Um, I think our medical staff knew more than I did as to what may be going on with me because you know i had headaches for a long time and yeah. i'd have some trembling in my arms but i still just assumed ah that's what happens i have a i've had neck surgery i had it yeah. in 2002 this is this is just normal you know well and how uh, much did you know about cte then you know what was there a lot of information i mean i, I don't no. i don't think there was so no to somebody no, there, to tell you hey uh, you can't do this your brain is is not going to work. The, the the mechanism that is above your shoulders, the neck, the brain, everything is just not going to let you do this anymore. Well, and, and you know, thankfully, I, I feel like that's a, 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 you know, a bullet I dodged. Where where the bullet got me was, was my neck. And <laughs> I just didn't fully understand how how involved everything was or or where it was at, I guess. So uh, when they, when they did the MRI the day after WrestleMania, uh, I went up and did SmackDown. I just did commentary. And then I, I drove home up here to Asheville and I got a call from Vince and, you know, he, he told me, you got to retire. Mm -hmm. Now I I can't say I was totally shocked, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I knew I after that first neck surgery, I was on borrowed time. I mean, I knew yeah. that. I, yeah. I got nine more years, though, maybe 10 more years out yeah. of it. So that I, I, I 
you know, I didn't know when it was going to happen, but I knew eventually that was going to be what stopped me. And I guess what I didn't realize is, you know, just what damage I was doing to my neck. You know, when I went and saw Dr. Maroon, who's the head of the, the medical team with WWE now, he said, you know, if you'd had this, this fusion that you had in 2002, if you'd had it while I was here, you wouldn't have been wrestling then. So they would have put the brakes on me in 2002. Yeah. And then all of my world championships, all of my singles run stuff, like where really hit my stride, that all wouldn't have happened. And if it had happened, then I would have been, things would have been very different, different for me. in in terms of an emotional reaction, um, when they finally put the brakes on me in 2011, yeah. thought, well, gosh, what else is there to do? I, I, everything I set out to do, I did absolutely everything. And then some, so I was upset, but not, not as devastated as, as I thought I would have been and nowhere near what it would have been in 2002. And I guess, yeah, and, and, I, yeah I was going to say, and what was left? I mean, uh, for you to, to accomplish there, uh, you know, I know my, it's my, tough to hang it up, but I mean, at the same time you'd had what, well, you know, it wasn't like you said, well, God, if I would have just gotten to do, was there anything? <laughs> no, I, yeah. it really my, I, what I wanted to do the, the rest of my career was just help young guys. Huh. So whether that was, you know, get in with Dolph or, um, you know, or Del Rio or these guys and just kind of show them what, if you just wait here, pause here, whoa, it's okay. Yeah. Just slow down. Just listen right. to them. That was where I was at in my career. Huh. And the nights where I could get in there with like a Rey Mysterio in Elimination Chamber and we could wrestle for 45 minutes and just those nights were off nights and I didn't have to teach anything and just go out and enjoy. Yeah. And But I, I truly looked at it as, okay, there's a new crop of guys coming in. I'm going to be here to help teach them. And then I'll pass the ball and, and go home. And I assumed home would be at 40. I retired when I was 37. Yeah. So I had a 20 year career. I started training when I was 17, yeah. you know, most of it with WWE. So I, there wasn't a lot else to do, you know, and yeah, but it's the same though with professional athletes and, uh, you know, where you that's all you know in your life that's uh, yeah. and and they get to that point and and it's not just you had this great job i mean there is there's it's a it's a the juice from it is is mm-hmm. incredible and you have to find something that fills it and that's where i think a lot of these uh, you know athletes and uh, you know where they really crash because they can't yeah. find that and yeah so, I mean, I think you, you probably had a little period like that. And then, uh, fortunately, things changed. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, again, just, I don't know, serendipity. I don't, I don't yeah. know, however you want to put it. Yeah. Um, when I retired, I got a live mic, no script, and I just went out and talked. And, and basically, you know, quit what I had done for my entire adult life. Yeah. And when I did that, uh, there was producers for a show called Haven who were looking for a wrestler to put on their show because they were on after SmackDown on the sci-fi network. Mm-hmm. They saw the retirement speech. I found out later that there, there was like five or six producers watching and half of them were in tears and mm-hmm. they 
weren't wrestling fans. They were just watching to try and get a wrestler. And they called uh, um, WWE and said, hey, is this guy available? Because, you know, we were looking for a tie-in. And if he just retired, so a week and a half after I retired, uh, I'm in Nova Scotia and um, filming an episode of, of this show called Haven. Yeah. And halfway through, um, the, I was only supposed to do one episode, four scenes. I think it was after my second scene, they came up and said, would you be available for more? I said, yeah, I don't got a job. So, <laughs> sure. In no way thinking that acting would be my next you know, vocation. Really, you never, you never thought about that because in, in a lot of ways you are an actor. And, uh, and, and I don't know if uh, you know, a lot of the uh, guys realize how well that prepares you. You look at somebody like The Rock, and I know that I've heard you know stories of where he'd walk into a room and you know they give him pages, and within you know a few minutes or whatever, he's all right. Let's do it because you guys are used to do, to going in live and having to nail uh, you know two minutes of copy. And yeah. uh, but but did that go through your head that yeah, you know maybe the acting thing, or you just say I don't know what I'm going to do because financially it wasn't that wasn't an issue, so. Yeah, I, I just, I truly didn't know. And it yeah. never, I guess because I saw Dwayne doing so well, I just thought, well, that, that's, that's an anomaly that, 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 uh, you know, that, that's his thing. And I, I just, I never, never really put much thought into the acting thing. Mm-hmm. And for me, when I was wrestling, I was a wrestler. That was it. You know. So when I you go, when you went to, they bring you in for this, for a, a couple of scenes, four scenes. Yeah. And I, you know, they probably they send you the script ahead of time. But are you thinking? I have no idea if I can act. I mean, when I when they say go, or I, do you say yeah. I got this? So here was the thing: I'd done one movie with WWE, and yeah. um, I walked into that clueless. I didn't mm-hmm. know what a mark was, hitting a mark. Yeah. I didn't know what turning around was. I did none of it. Was just oblivious. Because up until that point, I'd done a fight scene in a Highlander movie. But all of these yeah. were at WWE's suggestion. It mm-hmm. was never something I, I went after. They just said, hey, we wrote a movie. Uh, we want you to be in it. I went, okay. okay. That, yeah. that, was, that was it. Yeah. Um, by the time I got to Haven, I at least had that movie under my belt. But I, again. Yeah, but you had to have some acting chops for this, these scenes. I mean, and especially the, how the character developed. Uh, I don't think I did, you know, <laughs> no, but do you remember, but do you remember looking at, I don't know if you got a chance when they, what they call dailies or something, did you get a chance to look at it and did you go, Ooh, I don't know. Or did you say, oh, wow, I, I didn't, I didn't until in that first season, this director, uh, Lee Rose, yeah. she came up to me and she went, um, so what are you, what are you doing with your eyes there? I went, I, I don't know. I have no idea. She goes, stop doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, can you show me what you mean? And we went and watched it and it was, it was my close up, and you know, my eyebrows were everywhere. And I went, Oh my God, mm-hmm. I, I look like a maniac. <laughs> and that's not what the scene is, you know? And, and that I think was the transition from like Scott Hall's advice from 10 people to 10,000, you have to translate it. Well, that's what wrestling is. Acting is not that acting yeah. is pulling everything back because that oh, camera yeah. can see your nose hairs. Yeah. So 
it was a matter of, you know, it, it, it's, it's all entertainment. It's different branches on the tree. And this was having to pull back those natural things that I've been doing for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And once I saw it, once she gave me that, that, <laughs> that very blunt head awareness, up, I appreciated yeah. it so much yeah. because from that point forward, I said, okay, that's what I have to work on. If I'm going to continue to do this yeah. now in the midst of all of that, I realized I enjoyed it. And you talked about that juice earlier. Yeah. I realized that this was going to be my new juice. And, and I, in between that season that I did with, with Haven, I went, okay, but I'm going to go home and I'm going to try this retired thing and see what it's all about. Mm -hmm. And I sat on my deck and I grew a big bushy beard and I painted, you know, I was that guy mm -hmm. and, and I would mountain bike. And within six months, I thought, oh, oh my God, I gotta, I gotta do something here. I, <laughs> I, need, I need to get this creative. That's yeah. the way my mind works. I gotta get it out. And yeah. an art me, showing wasn't going to work, huh? It wasn't going to do it. You know? <laughs> no, no. And I don't think the my latest stuff was going to warrant a, yeah. a show. Um, then you'd so, have to come up with a signature to put in the corner. And, and, yeah, it was, it was just going to be too much stuff. <laughs> and so uh, eventually they called me back for the second season, uh, which ended up being the third season of the show. <laughs> and uh, I said, right, yeah, I'm in. <laughs> you know <laughs> I wasn't with WWE anymore at this point. So they didn't, you know, do the contract or anything. I didn't have an agent. They just said, do you want to be on this amount of episodes? And I went, sure. And I just went up there wow. <laughs> and I, I did that season. No agent. I, I ended up being a regular on a TV show without an agent. I, I didn't realize how that doesn't happen. You know? Um, no, no, it doesn't. And did you feel <laughs> that you were getting better? I, I did. Um, I was feeling more comfortable uh, again, because it's not what I ever set out to do. Yeah. Um, I didn't have that, that built in confidence and I eventually got there with it and I yeah. started taking classes and then I started peeling apart movies and characters and choices that actors were making. And like I used to do with matches, mm -hmm. you know, like I used to sit down and watch Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels and Steve Austin matches like, okay, I'm going to sit down and see why. De Niro made this choice, why Tom Hardy makes that choice, you know, uh, why Mandy Patinkin does that, you know, just try and, and uh, relate to why certain actors make me want to watch them. Mm -hmm. What do they do and what things do they do? And then, you know, do they study animals for different roles and things like that? So it was, you know, and then trying to find a piece of me within every character that I do. And it was a fun exploration um, that with each new job becomes a brand new exploration, which keeps it fresh and fun. And I think goes back to that reinvention in a wrestling character. Yeah. Well, and then the, the opportunity for Vikings. I mean, I, I can't imagine you go from, uh, I, I, you know, it's kind of a small set in a sense. And then you go yeah. to Game of Thrones, basically, where <laughs> you've got hundreds of extras and these gigantic sets. And uh, but anyway, we got a little head on ourselves here. But that that uh, what a tremendous opportunity that has turned into. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've said Haven. Haven was my boot camp. It was my college. Yeah. And yeah. it was such an amazing um caring environment you know you all of the actors all of the crew 
we were all and still are friends because we were in this tiny town in in Nova Scotia called Chester, Nova Scotia, this adorable, amazing little town with two restaurants and we would all get together for dinner and we were all having kids at the same time. And it just, it was so, again, I didn't realize how rare that is. Uh, You know, from there I do one episode of the flash, you know, where I get to play a super villain and that's bigger. You know, that's my first instance of, Oh, there's paparazzi there. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And then I get Vikings and, and that was an eye opener for sure, because there's people that I still have not worked with, nor will ever work with on that show. And that you might not ever see unless you accidentally bump into them. Or if we have some kind of, you know, cast dinner where they happen to be there, it, it, the, the scope of it, and you see, you see, yeah. You how see many crews do they have? I mean, they always have, you know, like the uh, the Northern European crew, and then the you know. Like, well, we'll have like, three crews, three camera yeah. crews, some days, you know. Oh. And it it you see it with the final product. You see the the kind of the grand scale of it. Massive. And uh, yeah, you walk into that thing, and you're walking into you know their sets, and they're these Viking towns that are built. And, um, you know, you get out on these ships and there's just all these ships and all these extras and, and uh, these day players and, and, you know, you just start to realize, oh, this is massive. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of big. Um, and, and again, just realize like, okay, this, this is amazing. This, you know, and, and. Luckily, it felt like a character built for me, too, um, that the, the same thing happened with Haven, where it just started to get the role started to to get bigger and bigger. And um, which for me was a challenge, but it was that's what I wanted, you know, yeah. was these responsibilities and and give me more lines, give me more scenes, give me more, you know, action, give me all of that. You know, I want to be in the thick of it Um, because I still think there's there's uh, and I could be wrong, but I still think there's the the misconception or the preconceived notion of, uh, well, he's he's a wrestler. So, you know, maybe we eh, just a little bit, a little bit. Oh, wait, hold on a second. Here's some more. Here's some more. Here's some more. I could be wrong. But, you know, from everyone I've talked to, that seems to be the case. Like, okay, we didn't know what we were getting. Well, they and, wouldn't have brought you back for another season. I mean, if it wasn't wasn't working. It, yeah. And that's – but there there's a bit of a proving thing. And I'm sure that yeah. could be the case with every actor. But I, I, I think it's changing with wrestling and the uh, the kind of aura that surrounds it because of guys like Dwayne and Dave and, and people showing that. Yeah. Yeah. This is amazing training, uh, right. and it's not just, you know, the you know theater of the absurd. Yeah, and but but what comes down what it comes down to is, can you act? And and really, that's that's when it. And in uh, thank God you've got people like Rock who've really opened those doors, and there mm-hmm. really isn't any barriers. Uh, I, I guess we have to thank Hulk Hogan for No Holds Barred. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he was. The, I mean, him and Terry Funk are the first two that I can think of that were in movies. I'll tell you, uh, Adam, we were, we were at, I was at the premiere for 
uh, no holds barred. And uh, <laughs> I will never, never forget when the lights came up and, and Vince is there and we're like, oh, yeah, it's standing ovation. Oh, my God. It's oh, my. And then we're all like, oh, my, whoa, what was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, you do have to give them uh, the credit because it, it, it did put people in a position. And now uh, you, you see people like you. And I, I really I love the fact that you, you you said I am not a I'm not a sports entertainer. I was a professional wrestler, and now I'm an actor. And and uh, was there a point where you that separation happened? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, even the, the first two seasons with Haven, when one of their castmates would ask me, you know, are you, so are you going to do this or what are you? I was like, no, nah, I'm not an actor. You know, I mean, I don't want to take away from what you guys do. I mean, uh, I know what I was brought here for. That's truly what my mentality was like. Uh-huh. But as the, the process happened and as I enjoyed it so much, I went, okay, I want to do this. If I want to do it, I got to study and I'm going to, I'm going to work on this. And then hopefully I feel comfortable calling myself, you know, an actor. And mm-hmm. it, w- it was by my third and fourth seasons where when people would ask me, I was like, I'm an actor. And, um, and then, you know, to get on a, a period piece, uh, a drama, with, you know, accents and, uh, you know, you, you can't do that show and not think you're an actor or you're not going to make it on that show. And, uh, but I, I, I had already kind of made that close that gap, um, before uh, that. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's tremendous though, to be a part of that. Uh, and I love the series. It's just like so much to catch up. And I jump ahead cause I want to see the stuff that you're doing. But uh, it is. I mean, I think there's fifty something episodes. But it really, it's 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 fantastic. What a great time to live, huh? Oh, man, I got I got I got two healthy girls. I got you know. Um, if you lived to thirty up, back then, man, you were you know, octogenarian right? in a sense. Yeah, and oh, and yeah. and you never had to shower. Oh, that was that's pro- <laughs> yeah yeah. Living back then would would be. Uh, I, I've often thought about that. Like even some of the scenes we're doing, I'm like, how oh. how would they have survived through this? But yeah. they did. They Somehow. just did. But the scene, I mean, one scene I, I saw is from uh, episode five, I, or I mean, uh, the fifth season, and they go into a church and they just slaughter everybody and then they pour the gold down the guy's throat. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, they did that kind of stuff. I mean, yeah. they go into, uh, but really, it's it's awesome. Anyway, uh, let's before we wrap up here, though, I want to get to what we call uh, serious acting. Uh, some <laughs> of the greatest collection of thespians that you, you have been able to put together. And I can't, I'd be remiss to not talk about uh, this. You know, the, the the show that reeks of awesomeness. And um, are, when are we going to see that uh, tremendous episode? I believe Sean Mooney was involved somehow. I know I don't want to give away any of it, but uh, it must have been. I mean, you can admit this now that. Uh, the chance to share the stage with, with me was, was probably pretty, pretty incredible. I mean, we, we put out the request <laughs> for you in particular, you, you <laughs> yeah. were the, uh, you were the centerpiece of something that I won't ruin, Yeah, we don't but, want to ruin. but yeah, I mean, so this cast of characters that if you were to put it on paper or to tell anyone, they'd be like, huh? So I'm going to tell you and people go, huh? But once you see what happened, you get Sean Mooney, Tommy Dreamer, Funaki, my, myself, Santino, Santino, Vicky Guerrero, Christian, Little Guido, Vicky Guerrero, and Carlito. 
put them uh, all together and what do you get and yeah. it's magic yeah well, I, I do i do want to mention i won't be giving anything away but there it was the, folks uh you, i mentioned viking and and the, the massive production and this is nothing close no. but but i the, the, when we're out on the dock uh and I'm, I'm not giving anything away here but do you remember what we're it's a big scene folks a very big scene and uh, we're all in costume and this this group of people were trying to get to their their boat and i just remember when they, they're looking at us like what the hell and and they walk by i go uh we'll explain later <laughs> and, and and you truly like if like i said if you were to think of all of those people i just mentioned and it is such a weird varied uh, it, it makes no sense on paper but somehow we were able to make it make sense because having all worked with these people we knew like oh this is gonna be great and uh you know having got to work with you on the first season you became like this this uh cult figure on the show at least in our minds and i think Mooney. in minds uh, Mooney, <laughs> Mooney. and it just took off from there. okay so i i do want to talk a little bit about it because folks if you enjoyed the first season now, but this is this they've taken it. You talk about uh, taking it to the next level. Uh, and I think you explained it to me that you had all these ideas. I mean, everything, every one of the shows is a, a major production. And I don't know how many uh, you came up with initially, but you said that you had all these scripted and you threw you had them on the floor. Yeah. And how many did you have? Did you start with? Because I know there's uh, I don't know how many shows are this season, but you had so to. Win. We we. Um, we all came down here to my house in uh, in Asheville, and our buddy Tim, who is um, he's an actor, he's a writer, he's a musician, very smart, funny guy. My buddy Mike from college, who's a, a voiceover guy, um, but also a writer and a musician. And it, Tommy Dreamer came down for a couple of days, myself and Christian, and we got a bottle of wine and we just started batting around ideas. And we ended up with 120 skits. Oh, jeez! And we threw them all on the ground, and then we'd we'd pick them up and go, right? What can we do with this? Can we make this more? Can we do this? Can we do that? And some of it could just come from a word. Some of it, like the <laughs> a, the one we did, movie. Came, came from my idea of remaking a movie, and uh, and. And what can we do with that? And then you start throwing in the cast and you start going, yeah. all right, we, we put Vicky here and we put Santino there. <laughs> and, and it really started to just write itself. So within that, we came up with an entire season again. Yeah. And, uh, but also it, it changes as you go and right. We got to do this. We can only get talent for this and, and trying to structure and do all of that. You know, uh, we got Paul Miller up in the office and he sits down with us and gets the headaches of having to try and get the travel taken care of and get everyone in and try and just make it all feasible. Because we wrote, I think we have over 100 cameos. I know. I was going to say, and not only did you get all these people, I mean, but the things you got them to do is just, yeah. that is the, and the, and the outfits, the costumes that, <laughs> it, it, it just it really it is just incredible folks you cannot this season you cannot miss and when is it do you know when it's premiering when it's so uh i, I it's sometime in november so coming okay. up real so it's soon. coming up soon yeah 
coming up real soon. I'm not sure of the exact date yet, um, but uh, it's coming up in November. And I, I think part of the reason we can get people to do this is because Jay and I are willing to pretty much do anything. Well, and, it's, and it was, it's a blast. I, I, yeah. That was some of the I, most fun I had for two days. I, I was sorry that it ended. And I think a lot of the folks that were in on it felt the same way because. Well, I think it's, 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 it's just, just goofy enough and yes. just tongue in cheek enough yeah. to go, oh, right. I mean, it, it exists outside of the WWE storylines. It exists outside of anything. It's its own weird right. little universe. Yeah. And as long as you come in, I, Everybody that has come in said how much fun they had. And then we go, right, okay, well, that's what we were trying to do is everyone who's on the show has fun. Hopefully that means that everyone watching the show will have fun. Yeah. And I, I I will say this season is nothing like the first season. It's no, so no. completely yeah. different. And this is what we envisioned when we first were approached by WWE. We just didn't have time to make it this. Yeah. This time we had time. We were able to sit down, really write things out, and and flesh these weird skits out. And uh, I, I'm just really, really happy with what I've seen from the edited, um, yeah. you know, process so far. And you know, it's between that and then Viking comes out November 28th. People are going to think I'm really busy, but I'm already done all of it. Yeah, but it's it's awesome though. And now you've been <laughs> able to enjoy. This is the this is the life you want to lead. And I tell you, I would, you know, I'd love to do when, when it comes out, when the, the episode comes out, I'd love to do like a watch along. I'm doing some of these watch. I would be to tell people what was going on because there were just so many great lines. I, I, I you know, I, I don't want to give anything away, but there's just, there's just so much. It, it was, it was a blast. Uh, Adam, really, I, I want to thank you for, for uh, catching up and uh, I'm glad we got to do this. Uh, I'm still trying to get Tommy. He, uh, you know, he, he he keeps blowing me off. But uh, and and I'm going to get Christian as well. But uh, <laughs> Tommy well, told I, me like his mother was in the hospital. So I I think that that's like, yeah that that's he's doing that yeah yeah yeah. It, it, be, anytime the mom comes in, yeah, you know, it, it yeah. For sure, they're reaching. For sure. It's uh, like, oh boy, I got to go there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mooney won't stop calling. <laughs> no, but seriously though. Uh, Thank you so much, and I, I hope I see you soon. Are you going to be at WrestleCade? It's nearby uh, the house. Uh, yes, I am. Oh, okay, so I'll see you there. I'm, I'm going to be there for uh, an appearance, Perfect. so that'd be great. Okay. We'll be able I'll to catch see you up soon then. then. But, yeah, but it's, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy for you. This is, uh, you know, like you've gone on to that, that next place, and I love the fact you say you're an actor now, because you are. And uh, real, I love watching you, and uh, this is just the beginning. You oh, do now, Movies ahead, too, right? I mean, uh, you're, not, you, you're ready for anything. Yeah, I'm ready for anything. You know, I, I told, uh, you know, my agents and everything, I'm going to just, I need a little bit of time off. You know, yeah. um, we, we've had some um, parent family stuff happening as, as happens when you, you start to get this age, your parents start to get older, you know? Yeah. So I said, right, I gotta, I gotta be home and take care of some stuff for a bit. And, uh, but eventually, yeah, I'm just going to get back out there and, and see what there is and, you know, tackle the next challenge. Yeah. Awesome. All right. I'll let you get back to the family in that uh, beautiful Ruby. Uh, thank you. <laughs> All right, man. And I'll, I'll see you soon. Here again, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll see All you right. soon, man. Thanks so okay. much. See you, buddy.
Smell that? Did you smell that? Because uh, this podcast right now is just reeking of so much awesomeness, I can hardly stand it. <laughs> that was, uh, it's going to be one of my favorite conversations of this podcast, all 70 plus episodes, uh, because uh, I really, uh, first of all, I mean, I just really uh, have enjoyed being around Adam the, the couple of occasions that I've had that opportunity. But he, he's just, I, I'm sure you could tell from that, that conversation we just had, he's the real deal. And, um, you know, I, I wish I would have been around him when he was with the WWE because uh, I would have loved to have seen uh, what he was able to do along with uh, Christian and, uh, you know, the, those great matches they had with the Hardy Boys and the, the Dudley Brothers. And, and really, it, what a fantastic career. But, uh, you know, I love the fact now that, he, you know, he says he's never wanted to be called a sports entertainer. He said, I'm a professional wrestler. And it was, it was hard for him. You know, when he said he started acting and he felt like, you know, oh, I would never insult these people because, uh, you know, you're their actors and I'm just, you know, here. But no, now he is an actor. And if you've seen him on Haven or if you've been able to catch any of the episodes that he's uh, on on Vikings, uh, he's got a great career ahead of him. I mean, I think, I think he's, he's awesome. Um, but uh, anyway, I really, really enjoyed that conversation. I hope you did too. Uh, Keep an eye out on your small screen because I think you're going to be seeing a lot more of, and, and maybe even on the big screen. I think he'd uh, be great in some movies, but um, he's very happy. He's in a really great place right now and uh, enjoying his family. And he's got this lifestyle now where he just, he was over in Ireland filming Vikings and now he's back home and he's, uh, you know, enjoying it all. Anyway, folks, I want to thank our sponsor, that uh, our new sponsor that we had with us this week, uh, Green Chef. Now, to get $50 off your first box of Green Chef, I want to remind you, just go to greenchef.us slash primetime. That's P-R-I-M-E-T-I-M-E. That's greenchef.us slash primetime. And place your first order. You're going to get $50 off. Green Chef thinks dinner should be planned around your life not the other way around. Okay, as I mentioned uh, before, we're going to be doing another watch-along. I hope the the folks that were with us before will join us once again. We really enjoyed it. Uh, if you haven't, uh, if you weren't there the first time, this is your opportunity. Uh, we're going to be watching. Everybody likes the Coliseum videos. Those things, uh, you know, the, the votes were hundreds of votes, and uh, that's what everybody wants to, to see. So it is going to be Super Tape 1 from Coliseum, and there are some great matches on there, and of, of course some uh, tremendous wraparounds that uh, I did to to host this this tape, and we're <laughs> going to be breaking it all down. So uh, I'll have more information on that next week. In the meantime, continue to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Primetime Mooney, and you can email me once again at PrimetimeMooney at gmail.com, okay? And check out the t-shirts at MooneyTees.com, will ya? Okay. Another great episode on the way, but for now, I'm Sean Mooney for Primetime, and I am out.